You are listening to the Pursuit Church Essay Podcast. We are a group of imperfect, real people on a mission to pursue God and love people. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. I'm really glad to be here today. I'm glad that all you guys are here. And today, I get the privilege of wrapping up the sermon series that we've been in for the last few weeks. It's titled, I Want to Believe, But... And we've been talking about some reasons in this series why people reject God flat out or why even as Christians we have a hard time, you know, just kind of believing and trusting in God sometimes. And one of the key points throughout this whole entire series has been that maybe, maybe it's hard to believe in God or trust him because we have a distorted view of who God is. We view him through our own paradigm, our own lens, our own filter. And in week one, we learned that um, some of the reasons that we may not feel God, because, you know, we always want to feel something sometimes. One of the reasons we might not feel God is because maybe we're over-sensationalizing it. Like we're always expecting God to give us the feels, the chills, the something, some kind of feeling to know that he's there. Or maybe, maybe our hearts have become hardened or calloused by some kind of unrepented sin. And you know, maybe, maybe we don't even realize that what we're doing goes against what God says. Maybe it's just become so much of a habit or part of who we are, what we do, that we don't even realize that it's offensive to God. Or maybe it's an unrepented sin that we refuse, we refuse to allow God to get out of us or to even show us. We don't want to see it. And then maybe it seems like God's silent sometimes because he might just try to be growing us up. He might be trying to grow us up, to bring us closer to him, to learn to trust in him and have bigger faith in him. And then in week two, we talked about how we want what we want, and then when God doesn't deliver, we start to get a distorted view of him. And we start to think, well, he's not with us. And then Pastor Bob taught us this uh, last couple of weeks that we're not always, always going to get what we want but God will always, always give us what we need. Because what we want may not line up with what God knows we really need. And then finally, last week, we learned that God cares more about relationships than he does all these rules. He's not a God of rules, y'all. Never has been. Man made those rules. God just made us for a relationship. He made us for a relationship with him first and then with each other. He's not about the rules. He wants a relationship. And this week, as I wrap up the series, I'm going to talk about a subject that's a little challenging sometimes. It's a little challenging for a lot of us. But before I start, I'm going to need to pray. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit. It is so real and tangible in this room right now, Lord. We thank you for being here with us, Lord. And I just pray, God that you open up our hearts and our minds to what you want us to receive today, Lord. Push us out of the way, clear out the distractions, clear out the whatever we may be thinking of that we need to do later. God, just push it all out of the way, Lord, and speak through me. Push me out of the way. I surrender my mind, my will, my emotions, my vocal cords, every part of my being, I surrender to you, Lord, so that you can have your way today and speak through me so that every single one of us is changed from the inside out. And we thank you for being with us in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. Amen. 
So again, the tenet of this series has been, we want to believe in God and we want to trust in God, but it's hard sometimes because we have a distorted view of who God really is. And today I want to talk about what's probably the most common distorted view of God, and that's that he is a heartless God. I want to believe, but God doesn't seem to care. And I think it's one of the toughest hurdles that people face when they hear about God or when someone wants to talk to them about God. That might very well be one of the toughest hurdles. God just doesn't seem to care. And you know what? I want you to know I get it. I do. I really understand that. I've been there. So I think it's a little easier for me to understand that line of thinking. I've been there. When I was 25 years old, my father died in a house fire. He was younger when he died than I am right now. And I was a single mom at the time, and I was really lost. And I loved my dad. My dad and I were very close. And when he died in a house fire, all of a sudden, I I had a lot of questions. I had faith, and I believed in God, but I had a lot of questions. Number one, God, why would you let that happen? You know everything. They say you know it all. They say you see it all. Why would you allow that to happen? You could have saved my dad. Why didn't you save my dad? That's real, y'all. And you know what? I'm going to be real transparent and tell you that I battled that for 20 years after that. Do the math. Into my 40s, I battled that. Why, God, did you allow that to happen to my dad? So I'm not standing up here preaching at you. I'm just talking to you, telling I understand. I understand that perspective. Why would God allow bad things to happen in this world? Suffering and trauma. I get it. That's a real legitimate question. And I just want to validate that. If you're sitting there and you're thinking that, you can think that for a minute. It's okay. I get it. But you know what I learned after wasting so many years asking why? What I learned was God is always with us. And he's with us in our pain. Doesn't mean that I don't miss my dad every single day. I literally still think about my dad every single day. And he's been gone a long time. He's been gone a long time. And it doesn't mean that it didn't make me sad. But you know what I've learned through the whole issue that I had to deal with through my pain, that unexpected trauma in my life, I learned how to pray for other people who have lost someone like that who've lost a parent, or who've lost somebody to a tragedy, to an accident that you weren't expecting and you didn't cause it, it just happened. I learned how to pray for others through being on my own knees. God showed me that. And I learned to empathize. I grew compassion in my heart for others suffering and going through needless, senseless pain. And I learned how to specifically pray for their needs because those were my needs too. You see, when God doesn't seem to care about our pain or our suffering, we have to learn this. And this is my first point today. There is a purpose in your pain. There is a purpose in your pain. Doesn't mean God caused it. It means there is a purpose in it. So if you brought your Bibles here today, I know it doesn't seem to be the the thing to do anymore, but I'm a firm believer of it. If you brought your paper Bible, open it up to Genesis, or if you have it on your phone, we're going to have it on the screen also. We'll be reading from the first chapter, I mean the 38th chapter of Genesis. Genesis is the first book in the Old Testament. So in Genesis chapter 38, we read a story about a woman, 
And this woman was a young woman who was so grossly abused and mistreated and used, and it was all through no fault of her own. There was an Israelite man named Judah, and Judah married a Canaanite woman. Well, they had three sons, okay? There was Ur, he was the oldest. There was Onan, he's the middle one, and then Shelah. Shelah was the youngest boy. So we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 8, Chapter 38, verses 6 through 11. Verse 6, Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death. Okay, think about that. So here's Tamar. She's been married off to Judah's oldest son, Ur. But Ur did something really wicked. He was an evil man. So God took him out. And we don't know what Ur did. But it had to have been something really horrific. Maybe he was abusive to Tamar. I don't know. But whatever it was, it was so horrible that God took him out. Literally exited the planet. So let's keep reading verse 8. Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death also. Wow. The Bible's very graphic too, y'all. You should open it up and read it. If you don't read it all the time, you should probably look at it. There's some crazy stuff in there. I mean, graphic stuff. Anyway, so in order to understand what's happening here, you need to know a little bit about ancient Hebrew law. So in the Old Testament, according to the Leverite law, when a husband died and he left his widow childless, then it was the duty or the responsibility of the next brother in line to stand up and to marry her and to provide her with a child so that that child could carry on the lineage from the, the dead brother. It was, it was a duty. So when Ur died, it was Onan's responsibility to step up and father a child with Tamar. But we see what he did. He basically just used her for his own pleasure, and he had no intentions of ever giving her a child. Well, guess what? God saw that too. So here's this young, childless widow. She's now lost two husbands. She has no children, which means back then there was no one to take care of her when she was older because that's why you needed to have children. If something were to happen to your husband, you had children to step up and take care of you or a son, right? So here's this young, childless widow. Her husbands are gone. So Judah, it's his responsibility now to provide a third son for her to marry, right, to take care of her and to provide her with an heir. So Judah starts thinking, uh, I don't know about that. This girl seems like a black widow, I'm not about to give my son to her. So he tells her, why don't you just go back to your father's house? Because that's usually what happened. Go back to your father's house and be a widow and stay there until Shayla, the youngest one, grows up and is old enough to father a child with you or to marry you, right? So here we go. Judah had promised his youngest son to Tamar. So Tamar takes off and she goes to live with her father. Let's continue in verse 11. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought he may too die, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. 
So again, I want you to understand back in those days when a a widow went back to live with her father because she had no children, she was supposed to be waiting. She was supposed to live in a state of mourning for a certain amount of time, and she was supposed to be waiting for that next son to step up and marry her. So Tamar went back to her dad's house. I don't even know how she must have felt. Think about it. You've been grown, living on your own, and then all of a sudden you got to go back and live with your parents. I don't know about that. I don't know if I could deal with that. But that's what she did. And she waited. She was a lady in waiting, literally in limbo with her life, waiting on this promise to be fulfilled. And you know, when I was researching the story for the message, I learned that many Jewish historians think that Ur, Onan, Tamar, and Shelah were all about the same age. They were all real close to the same age. So Shelah, the youngest brother, was probably just about a year away from being old enough to marry Tamar. One year. That's only 12 months. So one year away from being able to fulfill his responsibility and marry this widow, this young, childless widow. Yet, as we continue to read, that was not going to happen. So let's pick back up in verse 12. After a long time, Judah's wife died. It said right there, after a long time. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah, and his friend Hira went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes. She covered herself with a veil to disguise herself and then sat down at the entrance to Inaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah had now grown up and she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute because she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. Okay, can we stop right there? What kind of man was this? Seriously. And what will you give me to sleep with you? She asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it? Tamar was not dumb, y'all. She was scheming already. Verse 18, he said, what pledge should I give you? And she said, your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand. She answered him. So he gave them to her and she slept with him and she became pregnant by him. So let me just tell you real quick the significance of the seal, the cord, the staff. That was like his ID card. It was like him giving her his driver's license. They knew who he was by those things, right? But do you see what she did there? She had been waiting faithfully for a long time in her father's house as a widow, in limbo for years. I think it's safe to say for years because we know that it was a long time. Verse 12 said it. And then in verse 14, it says that she knew Shayla had already grown up. I mean, it's a small town. They had to have known what was going on, right? Tamar did the right thing for years. And Judah obviously had lied to her. He had no intentions of fulfilling what he promised her he would do. And he could care less about her. He could care less about this young, childless widow. He sent her away to be alone forever. Literally. He knew he wasn't going to do what he was supposed to do. He sent her away to be alone forever. She didn't really know that at the time, but he knew. He knew what he was doing. Tamar had been abused, lied to, 
schemed on, mistreated. And you know, I believe that something just rose up inside of her and she said, you know what, enough is enough. I've had enough of this. And she came up with a plan to make things right once and for all. She came up with a real sketchy plan. And you know, the Bible is so full of scandalous things, y'all. So if you've ever thought that you've done something that God's not going to forgive you for or that he won't overlook, no, 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 no. This girl, she took it to a whole nother level, a whole nother level of sketchy, scandalous stuff. And I'm not condoning what she did. I don't want you to hear that. I'm not condoning it. But have you ever been so hurt, so desperate, so desolate that you've resorted to some sketch stuff, some crazy stuff? I have. I have. Tamar had suffered mercilessly, but God saw it all, and he had a purpose in her pain. And not only that, but God was with her in her pain. You go back and you read, and it says that she sat at the city gate pretending to be a prostitute. Think about that. She was pretending to be a prostitute. She put herself in grave danger doing that. But if you read, it doesn't say anything about anybody messing with her, harassing her, um, taking advantage of her, or even soliciting her. Bad things that could have happened to her. There were a lot of bad things that could have happened to her. But God was with her in her pain. Tamar wasn't trying to prostitute herself out, y'all. That wasn't her purpose. She was in pain and she was afraid and she didn't know what else to do. All these people, all this time that were supposed to protect her and take care of her had abandoned her, could care less about her. And she was just trying to make sure that she was gonna finally get what she needed, somebody to take care of her and protect her. Tamar had a mission to get justice and God saw her heart. He's always looking at our heart. We forget that sometimes. We think that God's up here and he's looking at us, just looking for a reason to take us out. No, he's looking at our heart. It doesn't say in scripture, he's looking to take us out, but it does say, I search the hearts. I know the hearts. He knew her heart. He knew she wasn't doing some kind of sketchy stuff out of her for her own pleasure or her own gain or anything. He knew, he knew her heart. So if you're dealing with some kind of painful situation right now and, and, and you, you know, you, you've taken matters into your own hands, don't be too hard on yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself. And don't think that God has left you. Just remember Tamar's story. If you get to that point, remember Tamar's story and remember that God has a purpose in your pain and remember that he is with you in the midst of all that, Isaiah 43, 2 tells us, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Let those words sink into your heart and your mind. Whatever you're going through, when it seems like you're drowning in it, that's not so. God is with you. He's always with you. We can go to the end of Genesis chapter 38, and we read that Judah found out that Tamar was pregnant. Where it gets around in a small town, right? 
Word gets around in San Antonio, and this is not even a small town, but Word gets around and he found out that she was pregnant. So what does he do? <laughs> what does this man do? He sets off to have her killed because she was supposed to be waiting as a widow, remember? A widow waiting for something that he was never gonna bring to her. So he, <laughs> he got all full of himself and says, oh, really? Talk about judgy. Talk about condemning. You know, have you ever been judged or ridiculed or condemned for something somebody thought you were doing? That's a painful situation to be in, but God's with you in that. And he was with Tamar in this moment. She was supposed to be waiting. But when Judah, remember she had his cord and his seal and his staff. And when Judah found out that that child that she was pregnant with was his, God brought conviction like nobody's business, y'all. And Judah ended up marrying Tamar and taking care of her for the rest of her life. And guess what? Tamar had twin boys, and one of those twins' name was Perez. And you know who Perez was? The eighth great-grandfather of King David. And what do we know about Jesus Christ? We know that Jesus came from the line of King David. (laughs) That's powerful. That's powerful. You see, there was a purpose in Tamar's pain. And God was with her all along, all along. You know, I I know that even after that, there still may be someone here and you just, you find it hard to comprehend how such a loving, good God could let so much suffering and pain and trauma just be in this world rampant, like it seems to be. There's so many mass shootings and just hate crimes. And you wonder, where is God in all of that? If he's such a good, loving God, where is he in all this stuff that's going on that's evil, that's clearly, clearly not right? Or maybe, maybe you're here or somebody you know right now is in the middle of some pain, something going on, some abuse, some trauma, some kind of physical pain, whatever it is, and they didn't cause it. It's not their fault. It's not your fault. And you're wondering, where's God in this? I understand. I really understand firsthand. I was sexually abused as a child by a relative. And then carrying all that trauma and pain, guilt, shame for years. When I was 19, I married a man that I thought was going to be forever. Nobody ever gets married thinking it's going to end. I thought he was my forever guy. And I thought he was going to love me and, and take care of me and be the one, right? Well, I ended up being a battered wife for years. Battered wife, bad. And I remember praying out to God, why is he doing this? Why won't you make Rudy stop? Why is this happening to me? So I know what it feels like to go through something so horrible that you didn't cause. You didn't have a hand in it at all. It just happened. I'm not standing here telling you something that I don't know firsthand how it feels. It's bad. It hurts. but I want to share with you what I learned through my own circumstances. Every single one of us is given a great gift from God, and it's called free will. We have free will. That's how God made us. And free will is truly a gift because it means we get to make our own choices. Every one of us gets to make our own choice. And I learned through all of those things that happen, that God's not going to make any of us do anything. He didn't make us to be robots. He could have, but where's the fun in that? 
He didn't make us to be robots, to do whatever he tells us to do. That's not God. He's creative. He's loving. He's caring. He's giving. He didn't want a bunch of robots. He created us to be able to choose him. And his desire is that we choose him. He sent Jesus to die for our sins, to reconcile us to him because he wanted us to choose him. So he gave us the will, the free will to make that choice. So that also means that people, every person in the world has the will to choose how they want to behave or how they decide to behave. And some people... They just don't make the right choices. And their bad decisions and their bad choices can affect us, can affect those that are innocent and had no part in it, had no fault in it. That's free will, and that's how we were created. But I also learned this. I learned that God never leaves us, and he never, ever forsakes us. Not only is that a promise, we just sang about the promises of God and how faithful he is. That's a promise in his word that he never leaves us or forsakes us. He doesn't. And you know, just to kind of finish that story, I, Rudy tried to kill me. I don't even know a better way to say it. I'm just going to put it out there. He tried to kill me. He pushed me over a second story balcony and it was concrete down below. And before my feet got all the way off the ledge... And this is a supernatural, amazing, always with you kind of God. My neighbor who was one building over, I don't know how this man did it. He leapt over lightning fast, leapt over his balcony, leapt over my balcony and grabbed my ankles before I was going to go all the way over. That was incredible. That was a miracle. That was God watching, being with me in my pain, having a purpose for my pain and saving my life. He's always with you. Always. So maybe, again, maybe you're in a situation and you've been praying, you've been crying out to God, asking him to move, and it doesn't even seem like he cares or he's even listening. Can I tell you this? Just let me tell you this. Even when your prayers don't get answered the way you want them to be answered, God is still with you and he hears you and he has a purpose for your pain. I've lived that out, y'all. not telling you something that's not real. And the purpose may just be so that you can encourage someone else who's going through the same kind of pain. And you can encourage them to trust in God and to believe that he is who he says he is and that he will bring something wonderful out of their pain, just like he did for you, just like he did for me. And when we don't understand why God allows suffering and pain in this world, there's one more thing we need to remember. We need to understand this world is not our home. We are not of this world. I have a tattoo on my, my right ankle. And it's funny because the other day I was at Walmart and this little old guy, never, he goes, oh, I remember you and you. We were buying something. And I was like, you remember us? He said, yeah, I remember your tattoo on your leg. I was like, this little old man checking out my ankle. But I thought it was cool because that was the whole point of it. First point of it was, it says N-O-T-W, very simple, four letters, N-O-T-W. And it means not of this world. And it's based on John 17, 14, where Jesus is telling his followers, you're not of this world, I'm not of this world. But I put it there because I can look down every once in a while when I start trying to ask questions, why is this going on? 
Why are people hating each other? Why are these little children dying? Why is there war? Why? I have to remind myself. I, have to, I don't have scripture memorized, so I have to look down at my ankle and remember, I am not of this world. I don't belong here. This is not my home. Of course, it's not going to feel right. Of course, it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be wonderful. This isn't my home. I'm just a traveler here. We're all travelers here. This is not our forever home. You can't get too comfortable here. And even when natural disasters occur, property, lives are destroyed, we have to remember that this world is not our final home. 1 John 2.17 reminds us that this world is only temporary. It says, the world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. All that matters is that we live our lives, not trying to figure everything out. None of us have that ability to figure it all out, but trusting God in everything. Trust him in the good, trust him in the bad, trust him in the ugly. God has a purpose for your pain and he's with you in the midst of it. He gave us the gift of free will to choose him. And that's the best choice to make when you don't understand what's going on around you. Choose God. You don't have to have it all figured out. Sometimes I think God just tells us it's none of your business. None of your business. I made this world. Matter of fact, he told Job, where were you when I did this, this, and this? Sometimes I think God's like, don't worry about it, babe. Just trust me. We have the gift of free will and he wants us to choose him because in him, we know the truth. The truth with a capital T. Not his truth, your truth, the truth. The truth with a capital T, which is in the word of God himself. We can't get too comfortable here, y'all. God, in his infinite love and his wisdom, he created a place for us forever. It's not here. This world is passing away. It's not here. He created a beautiful, perfect place for us to dwell with him in peace and joy and love forever. That's how much he loves us. He's not looking for ways to disqualify us. He's looking for ways to reconcile us. And all we have to do is turn it around, turn it around and look to him. And I really, I don't have words to explain the depth of the pain and the suffering in this world. I don't have words for that, y'all. And I didn't even think that I could come up here and explain that to you. Nobody can explain it. But God, he tells us very clearly in his words, spoken through the prophet Isaiah, my ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So whatever may be going on around you that you just feel is so unjust and so wrong and so hurtful, and you're tempted to cry out to God, God, why are you allowing this? Here's something I want to challenge you to do. I want to issue a challenge. Don't think of things from your own perspective. We're so limited we're very limited in our thinking and everything. So don't think of things from your own perspective, but think of them from the perspective of the creator of the universe. 
one who flung the stars in the skies, who makes every sunset and sunrise different. Think of it from the perspective of a loving, beautiful, creative father. And I know sometimes it's, if you didn't have a good father growing up, it's hard to understand what does that even look like? What does a loving father even look like? He looks like the one who breathes breath in your lungs every morning, who wakes you up every day and gives you another opportunity to start over. He created beautiful things around you. Every good and perfect thing comes from the Lord above. That's what his word says, and it's the fact. It's the truth. So don't think of it from your own perspective. Think of it from a father who loves you, who has a purpose in your pain, and who's with you when you're hurting and you don't understand. He's created a beautiful, unimaginable place in eternity for you to be with him because the world is fading away. The world we know is not our home, but God has another one planned for us. Can I just get you to bow your heads and and let me pray. If you're here today and there's something maybe that you just, you don't understand why it's happening. You can't explain it, but you're hurting and there's a burning in your heart and you need to feel the presence of our loving God right now. I want to pray for you. Heavenly, Holy Father, first I thank you that we can come boldly to your throne, just like your word says. It's a promise that we can come boldly to your throne and receive mercy and grace. So Lord, I just pray that you show yourself in this moment that you soothe the burning hearts that have questions, that are suffering, that are hurting. Father, I hurt with those that are hurting and I know that you, you are even hurting more, Lord. You hurt a million times more because they're your creation and you love them. Father, I pray that as we endure trials, that you remind us that you see us, that you're with us, and there's a purpose in our pain, Lord. I pray that you just show up in a mighty way. You have such an individual plan for each one of us, so I know, Lord, that you will show up in an individual, unique way, that each and every person in this room will feel your presence in their pain, Lord. And I know they'll know your purpose, Father. Draw them into you, Father, and let us walk in big faith when we walk through difficult situations and difficult seasons, Lord. Let us see and know that we know that you're always with us and you are always good. And Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you bring comfort to those who are hurting today, Father. We love you, God. Thank you for being with us in Jesus' name. And if you would, just keep your heads closed and your eyes bowed. I want to take a moment to give you an opportunity to let God draw you in. You know, I, I'm not a perfect person. I've done so many wrong things, and I say things are inappropriate from time to time, and oh my gosh, I make mistakes. I, I, but you know what? I'm so thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ that forgives, that brings healing, that grace, that grace that he gives me when I mess up. That grace is here for you too. And if you have never, ever asked Jesus to come into your life and be the Lord of your life, if, if you're not even sure if you've done that, and yet you feel the weight of your sin in this moment, and, and you just want to be forgiven, you just want to be free of the shame or the guilt of the past, 
This is a time, this is a chance for you. If you don't mind, nobody's looking around. Just me. raise your hand real quick. You can put it up and put it back down. If this is a moment where you feel the Lord calling you into him and you want him to be your Lord and Savior, you want freedom from your past, from your shame, your sins, your guilt, just raise your hand real fast and put it right back down and let us pray for you. Thank you, Father. I know that God brought you here in this moment for such a time as this. It's not an accident. It's not an incident. You're here because God called you in to hear from him, to be reminded of how much he loves you. There's no need to carry any burdens any longer. Lord is calling, Lord God is calling you into him. Release it at his feet. And if you're ready to accept, accept his free gift of freedom, of salvation, of forgiveness, will you just pray this prayer with me? And those that are Christians already, please, please pray with them. Let's, let's pray it together to support them. Dear God, just pray after me. Dear God, thank you for your love and mercy. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I believe he rose again. Today I give you my heart. Lord, I make you the Lord of my life. Help me grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If God is transforming your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give at PursuitChurchSA.com slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to follow us to enjoy more messages like this. 